0: The information contained in this episode is for informational purposes only. No material is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.
1: Hello and welcome to the Health Hour of Inform Life Radio on 11:50 AM KKNW and streaming to CHD TV and other platforms. I'm so glad you could join us today. We've got two amazing hours ahead. All of them with the wonderful Dr. Stephanie Senef, who we'll get to in just a few minutes. Here, <clears throat> you know the theme song that comes on for the Health Hour about making it better. It says, "If you stand by me, I will stand by you." That is so important. I apologize. <clears throat> I don't know why I'm losing my voice. Listen here, but um, really, that's what it—that's what we need to do in this time that we're living in. You know, when they say, "When one man stands up, fifty more grow a backbone," we need to rise up together. We need to stand by each other, stand in our truth make difficult decisions in our lives in order to improve our lives, improve the future of our lives and the future of our children's lives, the future of this planet. You know, it's really David and and Goliath here, but there's enough Davids. There's enough of us that if we stand by each other and we stand in our truth and we work hard and we don't give up and we stay tenacious that we can do this we can overcome the troubles that we are all facing in the world today so um, I want to say thank you to the Washington chapter of children's health defense that make this health hour of radio free speech on the air across the globe possible. So if you're not yet, if you're in Washington state, not yet a member, please join us at a w a And if you can, please donate a little something every month to help fund this hour of radio to keep this free speech on the, air more and more censorship is um, is coming upon us a noose is coming everywhere around every where their speech, AM radio, FM radio, to a certain extent, is the last bastion of free speech. We need to stay on the air. We need your support in order to do that. So, thank you so much for that. Um, the views expressed on the show are not necessarily those of KKNW or CHDTV. Um, we are not bringing you medical advice or legal advice. We're just bringing you information and conversation to help you. Direct yourself to what you need to further explore to make informed decisions in your life. With that said, I'm going to bring on a co-host today, Dr. Javier Figueroa. Welcome, Javier.
0: Good to be here, Bernadette. How are you?
1: I'm very good. Hey, is it stormy at your house? Just a bit ago, you lost some power. Is there storm? Yeah, on?
0: it's storming. Uh, so we just have to we just had to button down a couple of things, and we should be good to go.
1: Okay. Uh, if you disappear suddenly, we'll we'll know what's up. And then, it, was it last week or the week before? The very end of the show, maybe you weren't there. I think maybe it, it was Bob. At the um, my power went out, and I didn't get back on in time before the show ended. So, <clears throat> it happens, you know.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: so I'm so glad you could be here because you've got the scientific mind and training and insights to really be able to uh, rock this conversation with our amazing guest, um, Stephanie Senef. Come on, let's let's have Stephanie join us here. Uh, I'm going to say just a few words here. So Stephanie Senef, who most of our listeners have probably heard of, but For people new to to Stephanie, she is a senior research scientist at MIT in the Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. She received a BS degree in biophysics in 1968, Ms. and EE degrees in electrical engineering in 1980, and a PhD degree in electrical engineering and computer science in 1985. So most of her work in those years was really, you know, on computer language and science, computation. But, you know, a few years ago, actually, let's go back to, I believe it's 2011 is how it's been described here. Um, She's been looking more and more toward biology. So at medical and health related journals on topics such as modern day diseases, Alzheimer's, autism, cardiovascular diseases, and analysis, you know, and where's that interaction, how, what's going on in the environment that's causing um, human harm. And that's where her brilliant analytical skills come on. So, Doctor Senep, I don't know if I did you justice, but
2: you did. Thank you.
1: <laughs> welcome so much to an informed life radio.
2: I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Um, <clears throat> so, wow you you took you had all that experience looking at data and analyzing data, human uh, computational interaction. See, I'm outside of my realm completely the things that you do. So I'm so grateful to individuals like you who really understand um, how to look at things and make sense of them. What initially pulled you from electrical engineering and computer science back into the world of biology? Was there something in particular that you said, I want to explore that?
2: There was, yes. And in fact, um, I had been aware of autism in the United States from early on because it was in the early 1980s that I had a friend whose son was uh, diagnosed with autism after having gotten a DPT shot, had high fever and piercing cry after the shot, seizures a week later, and then he he was diagnosed with autism. And that planted a seed in my mind. And it gave me interest in autism, too. He was severely autistic. And so uh, 2005, 2006, 2007, every year, autism rates are going up. That's fine. We're just diagnosing it more. I was like, no, there's got to be something going on here. And I need to figure out what it is because it's just too important to ignore something that's messing up our children's lives in a big way. And I figured well, I had the skills. And, and fortunately, at the time, I was, uh, my funding was from a, a, a computer company in Taiwan. And it still is. I mean, they have been fantastically supportive of my work. It has been so great. You know, many people have to struggle mm-hmm. with long hours, writing proposals, trying to get money. They have supported my work this entire time and even before when I was developing uh, computer I- interactive language games uh, games to help people learn a foreign language, specifically English-speaking people learning Chinese. So a completely different topic that I was mm-hmm. working on and that I was passionate about because I really believe Americans need to be learning Chinese. China is going to be the number one country i can see that coming and we need to be prepared to be able to communicate with them so that's an important thing i was doing but but i felt the autism was more important and i just um i i felt i had the skills i could just take a look at all the data that's available Mm -hmm. on the web looking at correlations trying to figure out and i would go through different possibilities of course the vaccines was actually the first thing i looked at and i certainly and i feel like i hit pay dirt on the vaccines and of course you know uh, mmr vaccine and um all the issues with Wakefield, I, I read his paper. I, I became aware of all the controversy, oh, yeah. um, and uh, but I, and I and I did a lot of statistical analyses of the VARS database, actually the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, finding correlations with autism, and in particular with MMR and autism. So I feel like that that is definitely a connection. Uh, it was DPT that my friend's son got, and that's got aluminum in it, which is very toxic. And so I suspect both of them are causal, and of course a number of other environmental toxins are also causal. It's sort of a it's just basically a, uh, a, a, a an attack on the brain by toxic environmental chemi- chemicals, and we have so many of them. And when you inject it in the in the arm, it's getting past all the barriers. So there's a great opportunity. In fact, the um, getting to glyphosate, which is my main topic, the vaccines have been found to have glyphosate contamination in them, and it was two different independent uh, analyses that were done by Zen Hunnicutt of Moms Across America and by Anthony Samsell, who's an independent toxicologist. And both of them analyzed a number of different vaccines, tested them for glyphosate, and found contamination and, uh, consistently in the live virus vaccines. So it could be that the MMR problem is actually a glyphosate problem.
0: So how is it that you can actually get an agricultural product into something that you know has to have a certain standard for administration to humans?
2: Surprising, isn't it? They, yeah. The live virus vaccines were particularly uh, suspect because they grow the virus in a culture and they feed the culture um, nutrients that are from, drive from animals that are exposed to glyphosate.
0: Oh, yeah. So okay. like collagen,
2: for example, Anthony at Samsel tested collagen, tested bone, cow's bone. They all had glyphosate, a hoof of a yeah. horse that had died of founder, glyphosate contamination in the hoof. So it's I can get to this later, but collagen is a big attractor for glyphosate, I believe, because it has lots and lots of glycine residues. And I believe that glyphosate is substituting for glycine during protein synthesis. And I also believe that's its primary mechanism of toxicity unique to glyphosate. No other chemical has that property.
1: And, you know, and that uh, one of the main reasons I reached out to you, so we've been covering um, glutathione, the body's master antioxidant, a lot on this show recently. It's so important. And so glycine is one of the components,
2: that's right, a building
1: blocks of um glutathione. And so I, um I I love to say it was me who initially thought of you, but it was somebody else who wrote to me who said, "Bernadette, you got to have Stephanie on because she says." And you know, I'm like, "Oh my goodness, yes." <laughs> and so here you are. Um so um if if humans are being exposed through the water and through their food um, to a product that is replacing one of the build- building blocks of glutathione, it, it doesn't take a PhD, really, to I think know. we might be in trouble here,
2: right? Yeah, but. Exactly. And, and in fact, it's interesting, because, so I can say a lot about glyphosate and glutathione. And also, I will say that I've still been all these years studying autism. I really want to understand mm. at a deep level exactly how and I'm getting really far with it. I'm working very hard on the paper right now that we, it's not ready for submission. but it's very detailed and, and really striking to me how, how far I've come in terms of understanding specifically in detail how glyphosate is causing autism. It's really amazing, an amazing story. But glutathione is at the heart of it. It's at the heart of it. And so, wow. You,
0: and just a brief question, can, if, if you supply enough glutathione, can you outcompete glyphosate?
2: Well, (laughs) no, not really. In fact, glutathione is hard to take. You can take liposomal glutathione as a supplement, um, but you can also take anacetylcysteine, which is a critical component of glutathione, also disrupted by glyphosate. Glyphosate hits on glutathione in two ways, I think, substituting for the glycine and uh, impairing the supply of the cysteine. It's really interesting. And and in fact, uh, this gets back to methionine and you've probably talked about methionine as well in methylation Mm -hmm. pathways in some of your discussions around autism. Maybe not. Not
0: not much, that's getting way into the biochemical weeds.
2: Yeah, well, that's also part of the story. I've seen many uh, talks given at various conferences that I go to on autism where they talk about the methylation Mm -hmm. pathways and how they're disrupted in in autism and there's a a deficiency in, in MTHFR methylene Tetrahydrofolate yes. reductase. Many kids, yes. many kids have a mutation in that enzyme. And that enzyme is crucial uh, for supplying the methyls that go on into methionine. And methionine is a universal methyl donor. And when you can think of methylation pathways, you probably know that lots of proteins and, and DNA gets methylated in, in processes that are sort of um, epigenetic effects. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, when the DNA in a cell is hypomethylated, meaning it doesn't have enough methyls, you get cancer. Right. So, so when you have an inability to supply those methyls, that leads directly to cancer.
1: Can Can you um, kind of explain to our general audience exactly what methylation is? Because it, it's a complicated term that you know I've yeah. I've heard of. And many people have heard of, but we really don't understand what it's doing. And I think it would be helpful for
2: <laughs> that. Would be amazing. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to sound simple, but it, it's really really fascinating to me. So you've heard of methane gas, right? Methane. Yeah. And methane is a is a climate changer. It's one of those um, like carbon dioxide. It's a it's much worse than carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas, methane. And and methane, and methane
1: is a byproduct of, of things breaking down, decomposing, right? You get methane yes. out of
2: you do. Decomposing um,
1: garbage. And, and, and,
2: you know, there's these like up in Alaska, there's these uh, peat bogs, you know, there's uh, the ice is melting and then the methane is getting out. There's all this stored methane that had been trapped in the ice, but because global warming, that methane is getting loose and that's making the warming get worse because the methane is 30 times as, as bad as carbon dioxide. This sounds like a, a detour, but methane is almost methyl. It's really, really fascinating. I've become absolutely enthralled with, with this whole process. It goes on in the gut, actually, with the gut microbes. And of course, the disrupted gut microbiome is a critical thing in gli- glyphosate as well. And we've had all this talk about the gut microbiome being uh, imbalanced in, in autism, you know, lots of papers are coming out. Uh, that's because glyphosate kills a certain bacteria that are uh, critical for capturing the methane and turning mm-hmm. it into organic matter. And the mm-hmm. methane is made by the gut, the gut microbes. It's a big team of m- microbes of different species that collaborate. It's really, really interesting. And um, bifidobacteria, are the first ones in, in, the, in the team, and they actually break down complex carbohydrates and they break them down into formate. And then the formate gets metabolized by other microbes to make hydrogen gas. And then the hydrogen gas gets combined with carbon dioxide to make methane. And then the methane gets grabbed by these other microbes that convert it to methanol, formate, methyl groups, and then methionine. So you get the methane is in the gas is trapped in the methionine molecule by the microbes, not the human cells, they can't do it. And then those methyls are carefully guarded throughout the body, they're like treasure. And those treasures have to be preserved and they stick them on the DNA molecules, I think, because they need those methyls to fuel the mitochondria. And the reason why those methyls are so valuable is extremely interesting. And this is a, a very pas- I'm very passionate about this topic lately and I've given a lot of talks on it. And it has to do with deuterium, which is heavy hydrogen. <laughs> and so, so deuterium is, a, uh, is an isotope, it's a natural isotope and it's found in seawater at 155 parts per million compared to hydrogen, so it's rare, but it's not rare compared to like calcium and magnesium. In the blood, the, the uh, deuterium levels in the blood are much higher than the calcium levels. I've heard hmm. like five times it's high. So it's, it's not rare, it's rare with respect to hydrogen, but hydrogen is so wonderfully common that that makes it still common, you see what I mean? Yes, yeah. it's an isotope of hydrogen. And deuterium is heavy hydrogen, it weighs twice as much, it, it, it behaves differently bio, biochemically, biophysically, and it's everywhere hydrogen is. So anytime there is like a glucose molecule that has some hydrogens and it, it, could have a deuterium. At any random point, it could have a deuterium. And the mitochondria hate deuterium. They hate it. Yes, they do. So there's all these um, enzymes that collaborate in this whole pro- incredibly brilliant process that life carries on uh, to keep the deuterium out of the mitochondria. And the, and the punchline is that those enzymes that do that are, are disrupted by glyphosate. <laughs> and,
1: so... It was, you know, th- What you're describing is an extremely complex process that our brilliantly designed bodies go through in order to give us life and energy and thought and everything that we have. And mankind in our folly, by just interrupting something along the way, disrupts this entire complex organism.
2: That's and right. so these
1: simple arguments that Monsanto bear and, and you know, pro big egg, big chemical people say, um, they try to break, say, oh, but it doesn't impact humans. That is... Right. So <laughs> disingenuous, right? I
2: mean, I, mean, yeah. I mean, the reason they give is because it disrupts this particular enzyme in this particular biological pathway that our cells don't have. And they think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing, which it sounds really good, right? Our cells don't have that enzyme, so that's great. The problem is our, most of our gut microbes have that enzyme, and they use that enzyme in a critical pathway that produces the aromatic amino acids, which are precursors to the neur- uh, <laughs> neurotransmitters Yep. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, the sleeping, you know, melatonin for sleep, melanin, the skin tanning agent, thyroid hormone, all of those things, and in fact, some B vitamins, all of them come out of the shikimate pathway. That glyphosate blocks in the microbes, wow. and so when that happens, all those things become deficient. And it's been shown, for example, that melatonin is down by sixty percent. Melatonin production in the pineal gland is suppressed by glyphosate.
0: Sixty yeah, percent.
2: So when you again.
0: We have sleep disorders
2: right? disorder going up exactly in step with the rise in glyphosate usage.
1: So when you say that um, melatonin has been reduced by 60%, is that like at the population level that humans that's just study, have less? a study
2: in which they found that to be the case. And it, it was wow. a, in rats. I think it was a rat study. So it's not a human study, but I suspect it does the same thing in humans. Yeah. And, melatonin, And that's why and, we have so many problems with sleep disorder.
1: And melatonin has been linked with
2: cancer. Melatonin deficiency. Yes. Deficiency, exactly right. right. Deficiency. Oh yeah, melatonin yeah. is huge. I mean, it's such a wonderful anti- antioxidant, and it also traps metals, you know, toxic metals. And melatonin is incredibly important, and um, I would say essential, you know. Yeah. And so, mm. having it deficient by sixty percent is a huge deal.
0: And wow. fun fact that you mentioned deuterium. There's been studies where they've done they've stripped away and uh, purified water containing any sort of uh, deuterated isotope or tritiated isotope. And they found out that if they gave that to organisms from, um, I believe it was nematodes all the way to mice, they could double their lifetime by wow, just yeah. giving them just pure uh, uh, non isotopic hydrogen.
2: No, no deuterium.
0: No yeah, deuterium. In fact,
2: the way, the way they discovered it, it's quite fascinating. It's the Russians actually who figured it out. And uh, it was because of these people living up in Siberia. And so um, those people were super healthy. They were living to be over 100 and still in good health, you know, and they were like, you know, what's, what's going on with these people? Super. Why are they so healthy? And so some scientists got interested and started to study. And I don't know how they managed to figure it out, but they realized that the water they were drinking was severely, was significantly depleted in deuterium because it came off the ice. So the water, the glacier melt water has low deuterium. And that's because the deuterium tends to stay with the ice. So it's always the deuterium stays in the more solid form of the, of, the, of, the, of the molecule. So water has ice and it has liquid and then it has gas, right? And so, um, and, and in the liquid form, it also has gel and gelled water is a very important thing in the body. And so ice traps deuterium, gelled water traps deuterium and the liquid tra- water tra- traps deuterium compared to mm-hmm. the hydrogen gas that's produced by these microbes. So when they make the hydrogen gas, the deuterium stays behind in the water. And that's why the hydrogen gas is 80% reduced in deuterium. And so they take the hydrogen gas and bring it back in. They're doing a cycle. They actually take the hydrogen and the carbon dioxide, run through this cycle, drop off the hydrogens so that they can be delivered to the mitochondria and then produce the carbon dioxide back again. They go around and around with methane and carbon dioxide, um, grabbing off those hydrogens that they got from the hydrogen gas. It's really, truly amazing. Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: <laughs> well. It probably does to Javier. And it does at a high level for me. I just keep hearing we are very complex creatures. And you can't mess with Mother Nature or God's design, however you want to describe it. We don't know what we're doing with all of these interferences. You know, and
2: it's true for all the drugs too. you know, all these pharmaceutical drugs that are supposed to treat different depression and anxiety and all of that. Those are really a problem. I'm I'm very disturbed by the fact that so many people are taking those drugs,
1: which are messing
2: up their brains.
1: Yes. Yeah. We have no idea really. And you know, when you go deep into the literature on most all of these things and you see the honest science between the scientists, you will often see things like, well, we're not sure actually how this works. We don't know how the human body does this or this or that, but here, let's do this. We, we made $2 billion on this product last year. So uh, yeah, it must be doing something. We don't know what.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And the studies on, on these, on these, uh, and, and anti-depressants anti, um, is yes. are just ridiculous because they really haven't shown, in my yeah, opinion, any benefit, you know? No,
1: no. Well, that's harm. That, that's something that children's health defense is working very hard to educate about is the danger of the psychotropic drugs that do have black box warning and lead to oh, yeah. very dangerous behavior, suicidal behavior. Exactly,
2: violence, Aggression,
1: behavior. violent. Um, SSRIs. Yeah. And then we've got the wonderful reformpharmanow.org, which is an initiative of Children's Health Defense. That's, you know, going to, that's one of the things going after in a big way, because all of this is happening. The pollution of the planet by um, Roundup, by glyphosate, and all these other pesticides and herbicides, which we're going to get to more of that in the next hour. Um, It all of it has to do with ineffective oversight um, and the capture of the media. It's all money. It's money, money, money. So let, let's let get though. this is the health hour. So we're good. Let's bring it back to um, what glyphosate does. Go ahead and tell us what you think is most important about why we need to avoid it. And then let's talk about maybe what you know about getting rid of it out of your life. How And the healing once you are able to get it out.
2: Yeah. Well, the most important thing, I think, is to eat a certified organic diet. And luckily, we do have that label in this country, and it's pretty widely available and growing. Availability has been growing significantly. Costco is a very good source of, of, uh, of organic foods. Um, for people who have a Costco mem- membership, that's a great way to get certified organic foods. And even, of course, Whole Foods. I mean, of course, the high-end you know, specialty stores. Yeah. It's, it's harder to uh, you find some in the regular grocery stores, but it's a little bit more difficult to you have to eat a pretty boring diet if you get all of your c- certified food from a regular grocery store. So obviously it's more expensive uh, and partly it's more expensive because they subsidize the toxic food, which is really stupid. The government uh, mm-hmm. subsidizes the people who are producing the food that's inedible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, the other good source would be yourself, too. If you are able to grow as much as the food you can, and even if you live in an apartment, you can sprout seeds on your counter, you can ferment things, you can grow a little lettuce garden, and then, you know, try to join a community garden where you are, and then, um, and then support your local farmer.
2: Yeah, and by go visit the farm, the farmer. That's a great way that we do it. For yeah. example, we just order online and go to the farm and pick up the food. And that's mm-hmm. really nice.
1: Yeah. Getting back to. Yeah. Not everybody, of course, lives where they can do such things, but there's way more that we can do. And one of the powers is David um, against Goliath sort of war that we're in on so many fronts. We have power with our purchase. We can defund the harm by stopping funding the harm. If we're buying the products, we're funding them to poison us. So stop doing that. Mm -hmm.
2: And we'll save money in the long run, because I really believe that if you switch to a certified organic diet, you will get healthier and you will save money on medical costs. And medical costs are very expensive if you start getting serious, serious condition, which you will in time if you don't if you keep on being poisoned.
1: Yeah, you, you mentioned earlier Zen Honeycut and-
2: um, um, Moms Across it, America.
1: Thank you, Moms Across America. I was gonna say the wrong moms thing. She, her organization has done such brilliant work and you go to um, their website and they've got the studies and they've got, they show the health benefits especially to children. Just children can recover so quickly. If they begin to get, because their bodies are just geared up to grow and heal. And if you get those good nutrients on board and take away the bad, the changes are phenomenal. So they've done testing of, of school food, school lunches, fast foods, and all
2: that to show you where the dangers are.
1: And um, they found
2: 95% of the school lunches were contaminated with glyphosate and 100% of the, of the fast food samples were contaminated with glyphosate it is yeah. all over the food supply it's not like it's just oranges or something like that it's yeah. all over the food supply yeah wow
1: so so when when you're exposed to glyphosate um you've already mentioned that it will displace glycine correct mm-hmm. but you said it does something to interrupt interrupt the cysteine can you explain that
2: uh yeah well that's that's interesting actually and that's partly my book i have my book here i'll show you toxic oh. glycine.
1: Yay, uh, how, yeah, how the root
2: of glyphosate is yeah. destroying our health and the environment. Wow. That was fun Thank writing you. that book. And I tried mm-hmm. very hard to dumb it down, so to speak, to get it more accessible to people, but it still has a lot of science in it. And I have a whole chapter devoted to my arguments for to convince you that, in fact, this happens. And part of the convincing is that Monsanto's own study on bluegill sunfish, where they exposed them to radio-labeled glyphosate, and then they they looked for radio label in the tissues they were asking the question does glyphosate accumulate in the tissues and they found lab, lab, uh, label in the tissues and so then they were like well is this really glyphosate or did it break down to something else you know exactly what is this so they tested for glyphosate and only 20% of the radio label was glyphosate 80% went missing went missing so they're like well what is the other 80% and so what the, so then what they did was they they added enzymes to break down the uh, proteins into individual amino acids. And when they did that, they recovered 80% rather than 20%. And they said, perhaps it was incorporated into the proteins. They didn't say substituting glycine, but they came awfully, awfully close.
0: Oh, Mm -hmm. no, that would have been the death knell that they did.
2: Yeah, and then Monsanto has been trying to hide that fact ever since. So I I give a lot of scientific evidence, and not just from Monsanto, but also from later studies from the industry in exactly how it suppresses that particular enzyme in the mate pathway. You can explain that by a glycine residue getting substituted by glyphosate. If you substitute that glycine for alanine, which is a minimal change, but a different code, and that's the important thing, glyphosate can't touch that enzyme anymore. So it's very black and white. If there's glycine, glyphosate's very toxic. If there's no glycine, glyphosate's fine. Very binary. And that means that what it's doing is substituting for that code. It sees the code it matches because it is a glycine molecule. It fits. Mm-hmm. And then wow. and so it's doing that everywhere, but it's doing that more commonly in certain proteins that have what I call a glyphosate susceptibility motif, which involves, which is what this, this synth, EPSP synthase has, a glyphosate susceptibility motif as I define it in my book, right. which is binding to phosphate. Some molecule that contains phosphate, binding to phosphate at a site where glycine is very, very important, that if that, you know, if that is not glycine, the enzyme gets disturbed, doesn't work properly. So it needs that glycine to bind to phosphate. Glyphosate substitutes and doesn't act like glycine anymore. It can't bind to the phosphate. It can't work. And its, it's like enzyme activity goes to zero. And so that's what's happening with EPSP synthase. And if you draw an analogy, you can find all kinds of other proteins that you can predict would also have that problem. And one of those proteins is a, a, a protein called cystothionine beta synthase, CBS, which is a, a critical protein uh, enzyme involved in converting methionine into cysteine. And cysteine is a, is a um, conditionally essential amino right. acid. And whereas methionine is an essential amino acid. We, our cells can't make methionine. But if they have methionine, they can make cysteine from it. But they can't if that enzyme is disrupted. So with mm-hmm. methionine is deficient because the microbes have trouble making the methionine. That's been shown Studies have shown both methionine and methionine is is suppressed by glyphosate synthesis of it, both in the microbes and in the plants. So we get deficient methionine in our diet. We get deficient ability to make methionine by our gut microbes. So methionine is down and the enzyme that converts it to cysteine is also not working. So cysteine is way down and cysteine depends, is the critical thing for glutathione. So glutathione, glutathione is also severely depleted. That's what I think is critical and that's what's causing a huge amount of trouble for the autistic kids right. and, uh, mm-hmm. and critical to their to their problems. Wow.
1: So I want to repeat the title here so people can go find this book. It's called Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment by Stephanie Seneff, Ph.D. Um, so this thank you for this. I need to get a copy of this and study it so I can talk a little bit more. Um, eloquently on the subject. It it is very um, it's very complicated, but it is so very important. Thank you for taking all the. I know how hard it is to write a book. I've written fiction. I've never written nonfiction <laughs> like that. But I know how. My, in fact, you you authored a book a, a book of fiction though a few years ago I that did. was um, a way of demonstrating. Um, I had
2: fun with that. That was really fun. My, my husband was on sabbatical in Taiwan, and I was there just hanging out. In the, in the hotel room. So I wrote that book just to entertain myself. And it was about really my own journey. Um, Cindy is the protagonist and she's representing me. She's a much younger version of me with young children. Yeah. but um, And she has a friend, Erica. So Cindy and Erica's Obsession is the name of the book. And together they're on this journey to try to figure out why the kids are so sick and and uh, look, specifically looking at autism, and uh, and it was a lot of fun because I could make up a yeah. day struggling with the science and trying to figure it out. At the same time, I was doing the same thing, so I could just yeah. kind of my alter ego. And that was really yeah. a fun book. I'd be, I enjoyed writing that. And I like writing fiction, so I should maybe try to do some more. Yeah, it. yeah, that
1: would be that would be really. Good. It's it's so important, especially with complicated subjects like this, in order to make it accessible to yes. people who are non scientists. You know, I think different art forms are important. Documentary films, novels, you know, different ways of getting the information in a way that's grasp- graspable. I mean, I'm a big person for like um, like a metaphor uh, kind of to describe, like I often describe that the um, like our immune systems and our bodies are like having a, a brand new car. And if you fill it up with gas and put in oil and you've got a clean filter and you get in the car and you begin to drive, well, if in 2000 miles, you haven't put more gas in the tank, you haven't replaced some of the oil, maybe change the oil filter, whatever you need to do, it's going to start breaking down. Mm-hmm. Well, the human body, you know, it's like, duh, you need to replace the things that are used up. And, you know, just as you wouldn't put tomato juice in the tank of your car, why would you put, let's just say soda pop in your tank? because? Mm-hmm. It's the wrong fuel. It's gonna do damage, you know? You're gonna damage your bridge.
2: Besides (laughs) eating certified organic, you need to eat whole foods, that's really important also. Those those two things, certified organic whole foods. And and you know, you can get organic versions of candy bars, but that's probably not a good idea. (laughs) So
1: (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie, it would be really fun for us to kind of pair up maybe and do a little something where you explain the science and then I put it in my in my like Analogies to um, like to to get it heard. I think we'd make a good team.
2: (laughs) That's true, and I like to use that analogy of sugar in the gas tank with respect to the in the mitochondria. That's like putting Uh sugar in the gas tank. Ah, see,
1: yeah, and people can grasp that. It's it's really good. Our our friend that we all have in common, Dr. Ted Fogarty, does various analogies. I remember during when COVID first hit, he was studying what the symptoms people were having and why venting didn't work he was saying it's like having a traffic jam and like your your arteries and veins and everything are where they're all clogged because of the way covid was impacting you and it's like trying to shove more cars into a traffic jam Mm -hmm. something's got to give something's going to break and so hyperbaric oxygen was a way to like get the cars moving outside of the roadway that was jammed. So you, you know, and it just made so much sense the way he described it. But unfortunately <laughs> hospitals aren't listening to him still. There's still and, putting uh, people on vents, but that's a whole other, a whole other story. So eating organic is the most important thing. Eating whole foods, mm-hmm. um, uh, is is the most important thing? Do and you, I can add some
2: more. Uh, eating sulfur-containing foods, eat a, have a high sulfur diet, and eating fermented foods. Fermented foods, excellent. And those sulfur foods are
1: going to be foods in the cabbage family, your cruciferous, your broccoli and kale, yes. and um, what else has sulfur besides those? Um, onions and
2: garlic, which I love, and, ah. uh, and I always use. Uh, we use a lot of onions and garlic in our cooking. In my yeah. house, constantly using onions and garlic. I love both yeah. of those, and they're both good sulfur sources. And they have a really good kind of sulfur that they supply. And then, of course, all the in the meats, there's lots of good sulfur. Animal-based foods have more cysteine uh, than um, than plant-based foods, and so mm-hmm. they have taurine. Taurine, it doesn't, it practically doesn't exist in plant-based. It's just another sulfur-containing amino acid. The sulfur-containing amino acids are basically cysteine, taurine homocysteine and methionine, and they're really, really important for metabolism, and they can be deficient, and then even you can have a sensitivity to sulfur. In fact, when I first started talking about sulfur, I was getting emails from people who said, I'm so sorry, but I can't eat sulfur-containing foods. They make me sick, and, um, and then I realized that. I was at first puzzled, and then I started studying that, and there's an, uh, an enzyme called sulfite oxidase that I think is disrupted by glyphosate, and that detoxifies uh. sulfite and turns it into sulfate, which is incredibly important for the body. Oh, yeah. And if that enzyme's broken, sulfite becomes toxic and then you can't eat sulfur-containing foods. So you're stuck, like you you have a major sulfate deficiency throughout your body, but if you eat sulfur-containing foods, you get sick. So that's a snowball, you know? Yeah. Wow. But that is reversible by removing the glyphosate from the diet, healing the gut? I, th- I would love to know mm-hmm. of anyone. I haven't heard any anecdotal stories where someone says, oh, I went organic and now I didn't have the sensitivity anymore. So I don't know if you can okay. fix it by going organic, but I would guess that you could, you know? And I know a lot of people who have celiac disease or issues, uh, gluten intolerance. And mm-hmm. they many people have shared with me, when I go to Europe, I can eat the wheat. It's not a problem.
0: Exactly. Yes.
2: And I yes. think that's a glyphosate. Uh, I've written a, a paper with Anthony Sampson on that topic of uh, proposing that glyphosate is a primary cause of gluten intolerance and the sensitivity mm-hmm. that we have to gluten, because and then again I can explain that through the microbes and how they get disrupted and they can't handle. They help the host to 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 uh, metabolize the gluten, and when they're broken, the gluten doesn't get properly metabolized, and now you have these foreign peptides. And then they also glyphosate creates a leaky gut, so the foreign uh, peptides cool. peptides get circulating into the body. The immune cells say, "Oh, this is not human. I need to attack it," and then mm-hmm. through molecular memory, they start attack, attacking your own proteins because they, they sufficiently match the foreign protein that your own proteins get, get under attack by your immune system, and then you get um, mm. gluten intolerance symptoms. Wow. Now,
0: is is the reason that uh, Europe doesn't have this high incidence of food sensitivities because they, they uh, basically stop GMOs from coming in, and therefore GMOs were engineered for high use of Roundup or or
2: glyphosate. Absolutely, most of the GM, I think the largest percentage of the GMOs are glyphosate resistant. And and they're also very uh, important crops that are the core crops of the processed food industry. So Ah. the corn, the soy, canola, sugar beets, alfalfa, cotton. Those are the key uh, GMO uh, glyphosate resistant uh, crops And and they make that glyphosate resistance by getting rid of that glycine residue that I told you about in that enzyme. They right. replaced it with alanine. They found a, an organism that had a version of that enzyme that wasn't sensitive to glyphosate because it didn't have that glycine. It, it, it seems as if, you know, there's
1: at least a triple threat. There's way more than that with human life these days, beginning in utero. If you've got the mother eating a standard diet, she's getting a lot of glyphosate as as a baby's beginning to develop, you know? Um, And then she's going to be usually given two to four vaccines now. I know. And with a a couple of issues. Yeah. Yeah, So aluminum in some that is able to cross the placental barrier. It's a neurotoxic and any vaccine given in at any time causes an immune activation and inflammation, which Mm -hmm. we know is linked to harm to the baby. So you get, that potential every time. Um, And then mothers historically have been told it's okay to take Tylenol during pregnancy and Tylenol Mm -hmm. depletes glutathione.
2: That's right. And also when you have low glutathione, you can't detoxify Tylenol.
1: Yeah. And then the baby enters the world. And the first thing they do is give it another vaccine with aluminum, activating this immature infant's immune system way before it's ready to to be prepared, and um Javier, you talked uh last week he did he gave a brilliant hour of talking about you know the development of
2: mm-hmm.
1: of the human um, human brain you know and the stages of development, so we're interrupting it again, and then if the baby is fussy, well you just give them children's tylenol right mm-hmm. and 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 then the mother continues to eat the standard diet, and so the milk is got. Glyphosate. Yeah, and, and that's one thing they did. Zen
2: tested breast milk, um, and uh, she got um, several women who are nursing to contribute breast milk, and thirty percent of them tested positive for glyphosate oh. in their breast milk.
1: It's water soluble,
2: so it's going to get
1: everywhere.
2: It it's will be also picked embedded in the, in the rain. Origins, So you know, you can get rid of it. Actually, it's interesting because when she did that study, some scientists, you know, from the industry. At, quickly thereafter, published a peer reviewed paper on cow's milk, where they claimed that they didn't find any glyphosate in the cow's milk. But the first thing they did was to precipitate out the protein. So they took away the glyphosate with the the rest of it. So I think they know. I think they know.
1: They they must it's just it. uh, Just when you think that people cannot get any more uh, evil in their pursuit of profit and power, you hear of these stories of intentional um, things like that, removing a protein when that's where the culprit is hiding. Um, you know, this is, I, I've got something that I'd like to share. It's its sort of, let me see where it is. It's a little bit off, Tommy see, where did it go? Come on, there it is. It's a, it's a little bit more Liberty Hour topic, but um, I'm thinking of it now. So I'm just gonna go ahead and bring it on because um, let <laughs> me. Hold on. I've got to present. Let me see if I can find it real quick here. Present and we share. This just has to do with people being dastardly. So I don't know (laughs) if either either of you uh, saw this. Let me see if I can make this a little bit bigger. Um, There we go. That's a little bit bigger. Um, so this was just came out yesterday on, on Twitter, that it was discovered, and I'll get to who discovered it here in a bit, that in 2019, March 25th, 2019, Commissioner of FDA, Scott Gottlieb, um, put in the Federal Register that they were amending a certain part of code by removing the last three sentences so what the heck was that all about? Well, this is what they removed. It had to do with the inspection of biologics facilities, places where they make vaccines. Hmm. And the language they got rid of was, the inspector shall call upon the active head of the establishment stating the object of his visit, interrogate the proprietor of the establishment, examine the details of the location, and pretty much investigate everything, including they had to obtain and cause to be sent to the director, Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research or the director of the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research adequate samples for the examination of any product or ingredient used in its manufacture.
2: Mm. So
1: that was deleted completely mm. from code in 2019, April second.
2: Wow. Okay,
1: and you go there now, and it said it was Catherine Watt who discovered this. Wow. And then in June of 20 or 2000, no, 2020, I believe it was June of 2020, if I have the timing right. Um, Scott Gottlieb was, there it is. No, it was June of 2019. Scott Gottlieb was elected as an independent member of the board of directors of Pfizer.
2: Wow, that is amazing.
1: Isn't that...
2: That's so interesting.
1: Isn't that curious? Why would you...
2: And this before COVID uh, actually was made public.
1: Yeah. It's
2: really, really interesting.
1: The the signs of the pandemic that they knew what they were doing And they were preparing to do it to us or all over the place. that is one of the most blatant examples of the intent to deceive the public that I have ever seen.
2: I see you have Um, that book, the Uhan cover up on your shelf. I'm reading that right now. I'm really, it's really gripping. It's so good. It is. It reads like a thriller, doesn't it? It's just incredible. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it is amazing. It, it, Yeah. So so it doesn't surprise me that um, although it it infuriates me that when they do studies and they would intentionally not look where they they do that with
2: glyphosate, too, because when they evaluated glyphosate, this is quite interesting. When they evaluated glyphosate's toxicity, they evaluated it in isolation. When they used it, they put all these things into the Roundup that makes the glyphosate much more toxic and that, is, that are toxic in and of themselves. And they didn't study mm-hmm. them at all, But the adjuvants. They only studied glyphosate in isolation, but they used it in this context where it was much more toxic. And when they did the GMOs, they created these GMOs that were resistant to glyphosate. And when they evaluated the toxicity of the GMOs, this is like so amazing to me. They didn't use glyphosate on them. They grew them organically to see if they were toxic. Can you believe that? I mean, the point of them is you can spray them all over the place with glyphosate and they don't die, but they take up that glyphosate and now it's a contaminant in your food. But when they tested to see if they were toxic or not, they grew them organically. So so these GMO foods are either not toxic
1: or far less toxic if you grow them organically. For the reason (laughs) that they're there. Wow!
2: Yeah, that's um, crazy, and I don't know that they aren't toxic. I, I, I wouldn't yeah. really want to be eating something that has a genetically modified uh, protein in it. You know, no. I'm concerned about the GMO salmon, for example. I don't know if you know about those, but yeah, they yeah. Uh, they go blind.
1: The salmon go blind. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. I I, I avoid any farmed. Uh, salmon, I do too. yeah, and wild
2: salmon is would be super healthy, but of course it picks up stuff too because the water's so toxic, like like yeah, mercury, right? Yeah, <laughs> so,
1: what the what the heck are we doing, folks? Uh, you know, yes. um, again, I want to try to be that uplifting Pollyanna voice. Be <laughs> so difficult. <laughs> the, the, the when you think about the toxic soup that we're swimming in, the fact that we're all still here. You know, we might be fighting a lot of health issues and cancer rates and all these things are going up and we've got all these troubles, but life wants to win, wants to survive. And um, uh, Dr. Zach Bush, you probably know, right? I know him
2: well, yes.
1: He, he, he's given some great lectures that talks about, you know, it might take a decade or more for you to get to ill health. But when you turn things around and give your body what it needs, you can, you
2: can heal much faster. Than it took to um, people need to understand that food is medicine. And I think it's the mm -hmm. best medicine by far. Mm -hmm. I would much rather be taking foods or even nutraceuticals, you know, Mm -hmm. um, nutritional supplements. I don't love that and I don't take them, but I think they're a lot better than drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Drugs.
1: Yeah. I, and I'm not good at taking them daily, but I, I'm a big believer my my medicine cabinet, as it were, is just nutraceuticals. It's vitamin D yeah. and zinc and you know, those things that when you are facing ill health or you haven't been taking good care of yourself, you become depleted and quickly. It's sort of the cheat I like to get. I can't tell to. you what
2: I take, which is quite interesting. What's that? Deuterium depleted water, light water. Um oh. I take uh, Epsom salt baths and I take sunlight exposure. Those are my three drugs. <laughs> well, and then of course, I drink alcohol. But I don't <laughs> know if you call that a drug, but.
0: Uh, well, you that, know what?
2: Take, right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I just, uh, Nathan yeah. just put uh, put in a, a quote here. When I was in the province of the Philippines, everything is basically farm fresh and organic. They eat five meals a day, and I don't see any obesity at
2: yeah, all. Yeah. There you are. It's totally. I think glyphosate is a clear number one cause of obesity and you can track track it around the world the countries once they start eating western food they get fat around the wow
1: yeah yeah i remember years ago going to a museum when my son was little it was in seattle and you walked in and they had a special display up and it was food from around the world and over here you'd see you know what they were eating in the philippines and in africa and here and there and it was these beautiful, like, bags of grains and fresh vegetables. And, you know, it was really fascinating to see. And then you looked at the United States table, and it was a bag of McDonald's. I it know. was boxes of so Cheerios. Awesome. It was all <laughs> processed food. So it was horrible. horrific.
2: Yeah. I, when yeah. I was in Taiwan, I was so struck by the food. You know, it's just so, so much healthier than our food. Yeah. Lots and lots of fresh fruits and vegetables and lots of fermented foods and a seafood and Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and even organ meats and things like that. I mean, things that we don't touch that are really healthy if they're not poisoned, (laughs) like the liver, you know, livers a really healthy food, except that you can't eat it because it's so toxic at this point from all the poisons that the cow was exposed to mm. uh,
1: yeah unless you get you you know the farmer who raised it the rancher and you get that pasture raised organically raised um, beef liver then you could although I still can't stand the texture of liver
2: my mother tried I don't to like liver, liver either <laughs> <laughs> when I was a child it was like you gotta have liver you know there was yeah a a liver is a healthy food you need to eat it And my mom would prepare it and I usually we were never happy with liver with now. <laughs> and cod liver oil,
1: back when they didn't yes. flavor it, and I had to pinch my nose and I, and swallow down a spoonful. But, you know, mama, bless you. Uh, thank you for giving me uh, cod liver oil as a kid because, you know, I'm pretty healthy, 60 years old, you know, no health issues. And, you know, here we go. I'm going to try to keep this for the next 30, 40
2: years. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> if I can. Um, so i guess yeah. i could say there are some um you know i think probiotics potentially could be breaking down glyphosate and i've talked about that it hasn't been proven but i i know mm-hmm. that acetobacter are among the few species that can actually metabolize glyphosate most of them can't
0: mm-hmm. and um
2: and so it's found in, in sauerkraut and Uh, apple cider vinegar. So I actually try to eat those foods on a regular basis with the hope that the microbes might actually be breaking it down enzymatically.
1: That's, that's fantastic. And, and I have heard that as well. So just remember folks, when you're looking for, let's say, apple cider vinegar, you don't want the Heinz shelf stable. You want (laughs) to, you know, you, you want to get the rags organic and it's got that mother on it. It's cloudy. Um, And it's a whole different animal from what the Heinz is Um, or, find it local. I can learn how to, you know, I guess make that. And then and with the sauerkraut as well, you're going to find good sauerkraut if you're not making it yourself. It's easy to make on your kitchen counter. Um, You put some cabbage, you know, in a jar, you throw some salt in, there's recipes out there for proportions. You mash it up really good until all the liquid comes out, you push it down, and then you put the lid on and you let it sit and you're basically making sauerkraut on your counter. Um, it, that's not complete instructions, but it's pretty close. Um, I'm, I haven't made it in a while. I need to make it again, but that's getting the good, really good, healthy bacteria. We're really getting low on time. But I remember, um, some of the studies that Zach Bush had talked about was that, you know, supplementing with store-bought, um, probiotics doesn't necessarily
2: give you what you need. It's better to get it. I would never do it, that. I would you know,
1: never. Yeah. Um, but I love
2: I love sauerkraut. I have a big jar of this uh, Costco sauerkraut, organic sauerkraut, which I really like.
1: And you'll find it in the refrigerated section. It's not shell yes. stable. Yeah, right. it has to be refrigerated and it's got the wonderful probiotics. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. So we're getting down to the last uh, few seconds here of the show. Um, but we are so glad that, that Dr. Seneff is going to join us for the next hour where we're going to get into the nitty gritty of, of um, uh, what's going on and see where we can empower ourselves to make a difference for the future uh, on this uh, subject. Um, uh, I guess last, what's your final
2: word, um, Stephanie, for health? Mm. (laughs) Well, you can see just healthy living, eating uh, healthy, organic, uh, whole foods, uh, lots of sulfur, and here we go fermented foods and getting out in the sunlight getting out in the sunlight and getting back without the sunglasses without Without sunglasses
1: sunglasses. all right there we go easy advice so uh, we're going to take a quick break and come back to the liberty hour you've been listening to inform life radio on 1150 a.m. KKNW and CHD TV we'll see you in a few minutes bye bye During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more,
2: Children's Health Defense is a nonprofit organization with a mission to end childhood health epidemics by working aggressively to eliminate harmful exposures, hold those responsible accountable, and establish safeguards to prevent future harm. The Washington chapter of Children's Health Defense is stepping up at the state and local levels, but we can't do this without you. Join us at wa.children'shealthdefense.org. Let's restore and defend children's
0: health and their futures in Washington state. The information contained in this episode is for informational purposes only. No material is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.